How do we motivate our kids to learn in the summer? And how do we know if choice is being added to their education process? Well, that's exactly why we are so excited to have Iris Chen join us today on the AI Parenting Podcast. Iris Chen is an author, an unschooling mom, deconstructing tiger parent, and founder of the Untigering Movement. As an advocate for peaceful parenting and educational freedom for her children, her mission is to inspire generational and cultural transformation, especially among Asian communities. She spent 16 years living overseas in China, the land of the tiger parents. Uh, but now she resides in her native California with her husband and two sons. You can read more about her adventures in parenting and unschooling at untigering.com. The three things that we're going to explore today are one, unschooling. How should we balance trying new hard tasks versus growing their existing easy interests? Two, adult wants versus child wants. How do we balance our parental goals and the child interests of our child? And three, enforcing versus ensuring. How do we measure their growth in a way that also builds the confidence of our child? Without further ado, let's jump into it. Um, the, the first question we were, I was going to ask was related to the, the balance uh, of unschooling. And maybe if you could speak a little bit, and this is a, a tough one, but how should we balance like trying new, maybe harder tasks for kids versus uh, that like kind of growing in their, like say that already the interest that they have that perhaps they perceive as much easier. So like, I wonder if sometimes like in the unschooling space, it's like, okay, we want to, obviously we want to address their interests, but what happens if like their interests are mostly in things that they're familiar with and they're, they're doing things because they're scared, I don't know, of what's new. What do you yeah. think? Yeah. So I feel like, you know, we always need to be in conversation and in relationship with our children so that we are helping them and supporting them the best way that we can. But I really think that we also need to um, resist the desire to um, sort of project our own values or our own goals for our kids onto them because they are, like we said, they are their own people. They move at a different pace. They may have different ambitions than we do. So even though we might want them to really improve their skills in a certain area, if that isn't intrinsically motivated, then that's really just us placing that expectation on them, right? So um, if they just want to play soccer and have fun with their with their kids, and we are trying to get them to be the championship or to be captain of the team and helping them to uh, like gain better skills and send them to soccer camp, even though they don't aren't interested, um, I think that's something that we really need to evaluate as parents. Like, is this really about my child, or is it about me and my ego and wanting my kid to perform in a certain way? So I think. Like back, it has to go to consent. It has to go to self, like that self-motivation so that we honor them because not not all kids are going to want to be super achievers. So so when when we want to like balance, you know, like pushing them, like why is that? What is the thing that is driving us to push our kids? So there's that piece. And I think there's also like kids who are motivated, um, I believe are naturally 
um, interested in improving their skills. Like if you see kids who are really into video gaming or whatever, you don't have to motivate them to get them to try to get better at this video game, right? They are naturally motivated because that's something from within them. So part of it is like if we give them the time and the support to pursue the things that they really love, kids will naturally seek to gain more skills. We don't necessarily have to push them because they're interested in it. They're passionate about it. And if they don't, um, I feel like that's okay too, because why can't it just be play? Why, why do they have to be like number one and the best in everything? Part of it is just, why can't they just do it for enjoyment, right? There yeah, is I, the I loved your, um, your recent blog post that talked about this, where you said, Every time like your kid gets into something, you're thinking like, oh, my gosh, they're into soccer. They're going to be like the next like like world class soccer player. Or they, they get into art. Oh, my gosh, they're going to be like the next artist. Like, uh, like maybe not. Wait, like we don't need them to to be like that. They could have interests and they, they can move between them. Um, I think the the challenge is so many parents think of like, yeah, that's great. But like and, and I do want to encourage their interests. But then at the same time, like they're going to a school and like they're going to be evaluated on like how well they do in these things. And it's going to determine whether or not they're going to be able to like as a parent, I'm like freaking out. And so it's like I even wonder it's like they're for, for my son, for example, it could be something as simple as trying new foods. Right. He's hesitant. He's like really picky in terms of his eating. And uh, sometimes like the other day we were doing Taekwondo and he loves Taekwondo. But there was this one board he was trying to break and then he was hesitant to to break it because because what well because he was scared that he would fail right like he didn't want to do it and so sometimes when we we sat down and we, we go well you're not doing this because you're scared right like you're, you're doing this because you're, you're you're trying to avoid these things you're trying to do all these other things that you want like you want to do but they're not really interesting to you like you're doing them like you're building these legos but you're building the same one that you built last time or you're you're cutting these like little pieces of art but this is the same ones that you did last time you're not doing that necessarily now because you're interested in it but you're you're more doing it because it it's very comfortable for you and so now i'm trying to get you out of comfort zone and trying to move you into a, in a more challenging like harder you know uh, level uh, what can we do <laughs> what would you suggest yeah, I think, again, that's something that, you know, I would discuss with a child and see, like, is that their motivation to get to the next level, right? Like, are they motivated to improve in this area? Are they mo motivated enough to overcome some of their fears, to overcome some of the challenges? Because there are a lot of things that are difficult and challenging for us, but we, as even as adults, will not pursue because we're just not interested in it, right? Like, I'm not going to be, like, um, you know, be into lifting weights, even though it's hard and challenging, just because, like, that's not a priority for me. So I think, like, what we are encouraging our kids to improve on, if it's self, you know, self-motivated and intrinsically part of them, then, of course, we want to support them. So I think, you know, we just need to have conversations with our kids and not be coercive about it, not shame them because we have, you know, if our kid is more cautious and has more anxiety or is fearful, what we want to do is not push them, like throw them in the deep end and expect them to like, well, this is the way the world works. And so you need to go out there and, and do it. Um, 
But what we need to do is encourage, right? So how do we encourage, give them more courage? I think part of that is patience. Part of that is like giving them choice so they don't feel forced into something before they are ready. I think there's a lot of times when more cautious people, more cautious children feel like they're not accepted for who they are. Their, their boundaries aren't respected because an adult has these expectations of them to like push past their fears, do something before they're ready, all those things. And so I feel like with kids, we need to honor their process, their personality. Some kids are going to be slower. Some kids are going to be more timid. So how can we support them and encourage them, give them space, um, really say, I'm here for you if you want to try this. If you're not ready, that's okay. You know, and also talk about we how we can't let fear you know, control us, how we want, if this is something you really want to do, um, you know, there, there, we're always going to be uh, facing challenges and things that are scary, things that are difficult, but um, reminding our kids that they are loved no matter how they perform, you know, so I think those are the messages that we need to be giving our kids, not like try harder, um, you know, go, go for this thing, even though you're scared, you know, I think it's really about meeting those basic needs first and helping them to feel safe, helping them to have that internal courage so that they feel supported as they take these steps. I, I love that so much um, because you're saying it, like it's something that is, is so true. It, it's this notion of giving them choice also means giving, having the patience so that they can make that choice. And sometimes we don't have the patience. We need them to perform now. And if they like need to perform now, then there was never a choice to, to learn this. And that's something that it took me a long time to realize with my own son as well. We had to talk about what are those fears. We had to get to the conclusion. And then eventually he's the one who would come and say, okay, I'm ready now. Like, I'd like to do this. And and it took a long time. Like an, <laughs> it could take like an hour. It could take, you know, it could take a lot, many days. Who knows? But the key thing was he wasn't going to do it. No matter how much forcing or, or how much like that we required him to do it until he was ready to make that choice. And that that patience for it. Oh, that is that is a, a real skill as a parent, you know, building you're building this this high level of uh, patience. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I just remember, you know, myself as a child and being made to do things that I didn't want to do, that I wasn't ready for. And I think what that does is it just creates um, disconnection with your parents, you know, where you feel like they're not really honoring you. They don't understand you. Um, they're not going to listen to your fears or your anxieties or how you're feeling. You just have to plow through. You have to ignore your own needs and desires. Um, and so, yeah, that work of patience, that work of giving our children autonomy, honoring that is like a lot of that is on us as parents to carry that that tension and that burden because it is hard. Absolutely. Um, I, I like it. I remember, so this, 
this pandemic, um, you know, that we've we've been through has been like one of the most trying times of my entire life. Um, I, as a like a parent with young kids, um, I I often wonder like how do people get through this? Uh, in the same way, though, like by the end of it, I remember speaking to uh, my son's doctor where. He was just like bouncing off the walls and he was doing things and he's like, oh my gosh, do you need like, you know, more medication for him? And I was like, wow, we've, okay, we, we've done it. We've, we've built up some tolerance. <laughs> we've built up some of that, that patience. And it, it took a long time to, to realize, like you think like, oh man, at where I am right now versus like where I think I should be, like, oh, I'm so far behind as a parent. I feel like I, I could be doing a lot more in terms of patience because we always see situations where we could have done better, but it, it recognizing that we're all on this journey of developing that patience and compared to some others like who see this externally, they're, they're blown away at how much patience we do have. So recognizing that we do have this skill and we can see it, we, we do see it um, improve uh, over time. Not that we're perfect, but it's like we're recognizing we're trying to build something our, our capacity for handling their, their choice, their emotional outbursts, their like whatever it could be. So I love this so much. <laughs> so you've been talking about this already, right? Um, the adult, like what the adult wants versus what the child wants. Um, and so how do we balance our parental goals? Like we have these high goals for our child, as you had described, like, oh, I want them to to achieve uh, versus the, their obviously their own interests and their their own choices. So how do you like, is there a balance? Is it just their choices? Is it just our like, it, it feels like you wouldn't just have one or the other, like what is what is the right balance in this case? I would say that our adult wants and our adult goals should be focused on ourselves. <laughs> and not on our children. Like if we have a goal for our parenting, it should be, I'm striving to be more patient. I'm striving to not yell at my kids. I'm striving to um, to have more empathy, all of those things. Because I feel like when we place our wants and our goals onto another person, that's very disrespectful. That's very oppressive in my mind, even though we are told that that is the responsibility of a parent. But um, I don't believe that we should have that type of control and authority over another person. Just like just like I wouldn't want to come into my relationship with my partner and say, I have these goals for you. These are the things that I think you should achieve in a year. And I wouldn't be a good wife if I didn't, you know, keep you on track with that. I think that's just very dehumanizing and very disrespectful, right? Like our partners are their own people. Our children are their own people. And so how can we come alongside them as um, just to support them to honor that their individuality, to know that I might have my own goals and my own personality, my own ambitions and dreams. I get to pursue those for myself. And you are your own person with your own goals, personalities and dreams. And how can I support you in, in living the life that you want? Not the life that I want for you, but life that you, that my child wants may be completely different from mine. And so 
in that way, I don't know if there is a balance, at least in my mind. I think I think that our focus really needs to be on our own self-control, our own um, like pursuing the things in our lives that we want for ourselves and supporting and empowering our kids to be fully themselves instead of needing to please mom and dad, needing to um, live out our dreams, meet our goals. Um, I really have been trying to resist that in my journey. That's a good point because often we have our own dreams and ambitions and then we we put them into our our child like oh we weren't able to achieve like the top level at whatever and then you're going to achieve it uh, and then my goal is going to become your goal and uh, without ever asking them well is that really the goal that you wanted and then later they they come to like let's say they even do it or and they succeed they they could still have a lot of like regret and resentment and if anything it feels like the balance is too much on the parenting side like the parent goals right now and it's too little on the uh on the like what does the child actually want and like we ask them to make good decisions but if we don't give them those opportunities to make good decisions they they don't have the experience they have to sometimes learn by making mistakes (laughs) by not getting things right all the time so i love that i love that that's very powerful um but Iris, like if we can like dive a little bit more into this, um, in your book, you, you specifically talk about like, we need to rewire, we need to rethink about what we mean by parenting. Can you go over like, what are some of those, those things that like we, other assumptions that we build in that, you know, maybe it's from our own upbringing that sometimes we need to rethink uh, if we want to consider uh, like, uh, like on untigering to be something that we want to use as a parenting strategy at home. Mm. I, yeah, I mentioned one of those right now where I think we need to rethink what our parenting role is because I think we're like mainstream parenting, the way that we've grown up, we assume that our parental role is to control our children, to make sure that they turn out well, to for them to have a better life, whatever that looks like, than we do. Um, and so I think part of it is to not see our parental role from sort of this authoritarian hierarchical framework, but how to reframe that so that it really is about partnership and about communication, about love and trust that's much more relational, where we share power with our children instead of use power over them. So I think that for me has been a huge, you know, paradigm shift um, where we see children as human beings and honor them instead of dehumanizing them. That's that's another thing that I say where we need to um, rethink our beliefs about children because I think we do have a lot of dehumanizing beliefs about children where they, like, it's totally acceptable in culture to control them, to silence them, to ignore them, to oppress them, to control them. Mm. All these things that we would never do to other populations that we feel is right and good to do to children. So that's something that really needs to be questioned and challenged. How can we begin to see children um, as whole people? And once we begin to see that, 
um, I think that causes us to really question, well, why do I think that I have the right to force them into this thing when I would never force my friend to do that? Why do I feel like I can say this to my child when I would never say that to my partner, right? So I think there's a lot of adultism that we need to question. Um, I think another thing is just to rethink misbehavior. And this was a big thing for me because um, when we're always focused on how our ch child is behaving and wanting them to behave in ways that are appropriate, that make us feel good, that like make us feel like we're doing a good job as a parent, we're missing out on what's happening underneath the surface, you know, and how um, all behavior is communication, all behavior are, they're all attempts to get needs met. And so rather than um, being very punitive, having a lot of rules to try to control behavior, um, it's more about understanding what are the, you know, emotional, physical, all those needs underneath um, that are driving that so that we can have a lot more compassion with, uh, for our children and help them to meet those needs in more appropriate ways. I, I love that. I remember hearing like at the Parenting Decolonized Conference, um, someone said like, I think it was in the chat, somebody said like, our child is not having challenging behaviors. Like they're like, there, there are behaviors that are challenging me as an adult. There are communications that are challenging my level of patience, my ability to to cope with those types of things as an adult, and uh, as my own experience. Like, um, and and this it, it runs short all the time. And it was this kind of realization that, you know what, I cannot, um, I cannot go and control his behavior, and and things are going to happen, but. If I could spend a little bit more time to understand, oh, he's saying this and he's doing these things, but why is he doing that? Oh, because he's missing this. It's like it, it just forces us to be way more thoughtful uh, about the parenting. And I think we would do the same for any friend. We would do the same for an employer. We would do the same for like people even on the street that we see. Um, so it, it, I think it makes so much sense to to rethink this behavior as a type of communication just like you, you would interpret uh, another adult. Like they're trying to explain things to you. They they haven't built the vocabulary. They they don't have all the same facilities to explain what's going on. So we have to step up that much more with with kids, and that's not easy for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, but I love it. Yeah, oftentimes we're just reacting to their behavior, and we are exhibiting the types of behaviors that we're not accepting of in them, you know, whether they're yelling or, you know, throwing a tantrum or whatever it is, we are doing the same thing to them and we feel justified in doing it. So I do think Absolutely. a lot of it is um, stretching our own ability to understand and to tolerate that, give them the space. Which to, is huge. Yeah, to do that by having more that. understanding. Mm -hmm. So enforcing versus ensuring. So we talked a little bit about this need for assessment, right? Like we're always measuring everything. And, you know, like uh, we have in, in business, this notion that it doesn't get measured, it doesn't get improved. School is all about measurement, like work is all about measurement. And so we're always looking to do some type of measurement. But how do we measure 
their growth, like the problem with measurement is that it, it can be so discouraging. Like you, you get a bad evaluation, you feel like you can't do anything. How do we measure their growth in a way that also builds their confidence as, as a child? Like, yeah, sure, you want to improve. Maybe you made a choice at some point. This is what I want to learn. But how do you do like a measurement so that they, they feel encouraged, it builds their confidence as opposed to uh, like, I'm, I'm so inadequate because of this? I think I would really push back against this um, feeling that an adult needs to actually evaluate a child and measure a child's progress. Because again, that's not consent based. If somebody were to come into my room and, or into my house and start evaluating me on something that I don't even care about, um, like how, um, I don't know, <laughs> like how, how clean the counter, how clean my toilet is or whatever, um, and they just come in and they give me a grade or whatever, it would just be so invasive because I'm not even asking for their input. That's not maybe even a priority for me at this point. So again, I think this, this need to evaluate and measure a child's progress is very adult-centered. It doesn't really have anything to do with our children and their desires, their goals, their interests. Um, there are ways to do it, of course, if our child is intrinsically motivated. They want to improve. So if I was just watching um, a documentary about Naomi Osaka, and if she's wanting to improve in her tennis skills, she will find a coach to do so. And that coach will give her helpful feedback and evaluation and ways to improve. But she has done so consensually. She has done so because she asked for that feedback. If that feedback was given to her, without her consent, just because somebody walked by and wanted to comment on her her abilities, that's just rude, right? It's, it's not helpful, it doesn't encourage them. So I think we need to go back to that basic thing where are we giving feedback consensually? Are they asking for it? Are they wanting to improve in their skills? Or is it again, the desire of the parent to evaluate and measure and make sure that they are, you know, meeting certain standards that are honestly arbitrary um, and more focused on what the adult wants than the, than the child. So I think, yeah, we need to go back to the whole consent piece to me. I, I think that's so helpful, right? Like, because the way that you would evaluate versus the way that you would encourage would be two different things. And if you're like, for example, for, for my child, maybe all he needs is just the, the type of encouragement, like, because he's at a point where he, he knows that he's got some struggles, like he doesn't necessarily need an evaluation to tell him. Um, but by getting the type of encouragement that he did something well in the, like some area that he's interested in can be enough for him to motivate to go deeper and to try harder things by by his own like he'll, he'll kind of reach to that point and it's kind of it's it's tough to like go i see you're kind of interested in this here's a roadmap of things that you need to do tomorrow <laughs> you know and i'm going to evaluate you on like level one level two level three and and then and that's going to be your progress but it's it's more like getting to a point 
where they feel like they feel like it's a safe environment for them. Like, okay, yes, I'm, you know, when I make when you make one of these, I'm going to go and share that with the grandparents. I'm going to go and you're going to get a ton of feedback from them. They're going to love it. Um, you know, is that something that you, you would like to do? Cause they've, they've been, they want to do that as well for you. And so they don't necessarily have a, mm, I would give it a five out of 10. Like the, the grandparents don't do that, right? Like they'll, they'll give you just like, um, positive words of encouragement, which may be really what you need. And I, I remember saying this to my son, like everything that you learn in school is like, it's been done for hundreds of years, right? Like it's certainly possible to do. Uh, but really, the the challenge at this point isn't your abilities. Like we know that you are able to do it. The question is, like, do you have the confidence, you know, to to get to that point? And if confidence is the thing that is missing for a lot of like kids because they're they're extremely capable of doing things, then what can we do to build up that confidence? Because like I've I've spoken to my own parents, they're like, well, we just like sat you down, and then we got you to do all those assignments. I'm like. Yeah, that helped. Like, it's like my own tiger parenting experience. That may have helped, but it was really the point where you started. I started to realize that if it, if it, if I can figure out a way to relate it to creativity, like which was something that I was very interested in, I can, I can make it work. Like, I can, I will go and learn all of the hard things that need to be learned. No problem. It'll be easy for me. Um, versus if they sat me down, it, like it didn't really help. It was really the the confidence that I could apply creativity to many other domains that really kind of stood out for myself. And I, I kind of wondered, you know, like maybe you've got similar experiences yourself, you know, because we're all we're all working against our <laughs> against the, the the way that we were parented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely, you know, felt like just yeah needing to grow in confidence I feel like when I was a kid the the type of affirmation that I got in school and my maybe my own personality it really caused me to be afraid to fail actually to be afraid to um to be less confident or less risky in things that I felt like I could fail in because of that perfectionistic um, personality that I have and because of the school mentality that reinforces there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. If you get the wrong answer, you know, you get shamed or whatever. Um, so I think with our kids, if we want them to grow in confidence, part of that is they need to have a sense of choice. You know, if a, if a child feels helpless, if they feel like everything is just, um, they have no autonomy, they don't have any power over their, over their lives, they, they internalize a sense of helplessness and depression because, you know, they don't have any choice in their lives. And, and I think, again, you know, our children are not, we are not meant to be all things to all people. We don't need to be good in everything. So how can we be confident and excited about the things that we are good at so that we can dive fully into those things and know that we are each designed, created differently to contribute something different to the world. So we don't have to be good at this particular thing. I don't have to be good at math. <laughs> and I'm not. I'm horrible at math. Me neither. <laughs> but that, that doesn't mean that I need to 
apply all my energy to get good at math. I mean, if that was my desire, I could mm-hmm. do it. But maybe I can apply that energy and that creativity, that that confidence to something else that I am really interested in, whether that's writing or, you know, sharing about unschooling or whatever. And to say yes, to have the freedom to say yes to those things that we really care about. I think that can help us gain confidence, that can help our kids gain confidence so they don't have to feel like they have to be all things to all people again. Like, even if they're not good at math, they're good at something else probably. And and uh, to build confidence in that way instead of um, just boxing them in and labeling them because they don't fit traditional uh, labels of success or, you know, smarts and all that things. Like to me, I totally buy it. Like I, I love the approach. Um, but as somebody who is like so used to this world of like tiger parenting, um, I, I would love to ask like, well, how do we do that? Like, wh- what is the what is the ways that you've tried that have, have worked for you? Can you clarify, like, what do you mean exactly? Mm-hmm. You bet. So when we're talking about encouraging our children, right? Like we're talking about like, we're not, our goal isn't to evaluate them, right? Because that means that we have a goal for them, right? And we have a set thing. But we do want to encourage them because encouragement, I feel at the very least has to point to what you need to do next in order to improve. And that's something I, I refer to as well in the relating. So we like sedate, relate, create. So relating isn't just about like, oh, you're interested in these things. It was like, no, you're interested in these things. Hey, have you thought about like going and watch this video? Because this video is actually quite interesting. You might learn a little bit more about the topic that you're interested in. Um, and so at what point do we kind of encourage them to give them enough like uh, confidence and like a kind of a roadmap for, well, if, if you want to go further in here, you can go here. If you don't want to, that's okay too. But um, just something so you can be aware of. Yeah. So there's this um, this thing in the unschooling world that we call strewing. So strewing is when we um, are offering our kids a lot of different choices, things that we think they might be interested in, things that we feel like, oh, this is the next step that you could take. Um, and they get to choose. They get to consensually, in a self-directed way, choose whether or not to engage with those. So as parents, we can always be strewing. We can always be offering, inviting, encouraging. It just shouldn't be coercive. It shouldn't be like, I have the roadmap. This is the next step you you have to take. It's always like, if you want to improve, here's something else. You know, because as parents, as adults, we have more resources. We have more access to knowledge to different resources that our kids don't know about. So it is important for us to be able to resource them and and give them um, just open up their world more, but not to do it in a coercive, like, I know what's best for you type of way. So for example, um, with my, with my, one of my kids, um, he's really into digital art and drawing. And there's like so many resources out there right now for like YouTube tutorials and all those things. And so, and there's classes. So I asked him, okay, if, do you want to take an out school class? Do you want to go and like learn from an art teacher, all those things? And he, 
he wasn't really interested at that point. You know, he's like, no, I'm fine. And for like months and months and months, he, you know, just continued drawing based on his, you know, what he already knew, just dabbled and played around. Um, and then it wasn't until more recently where he's been watching more you know, tutorials, um, just experimenting more with different eye shapes and like anime styles and stuff like that. So, but I had to wait for him to do it in his own time. Like I couldn't force it on him because if I forced it on him, then he would resent it and not, you know, perhaps lose interest. So part of it is like following their flow. Every child is going to be different. Um, their willingness, their their ambition, you know, every child is going to be different. And so how can we follow their lead, follow their flow, offer them what they want, but um, ultimately do it in just an encouraging partnership type of way instead of a coercive way? Uh, okay, so strewing is like, yes, it's offering many choices, but it's also combining that with the time, the patience that's needed for them to come and make their own decision. And it means that I can offer you 10 choices or I can offer you two choices, but you may choose none, none of those and that's okay. Um, you may take longer. You may be like at the point where, okay, now I need those eyes. I need to be able to, uh, as you described, like I need to be able to go in a little bit more detail for, for drawing. Okay, now I wanna learn that stuff. And so it's just in time with what they wanted to learn. And nowadays that's like way easier. Like it's, it's easier than ever to do something like that. So it, like I, it's, I'm starting to, okay, strewing is starting to like make, it's starting to click a little bit uh, more for me. Um, now, the other thing that um, you we were talking about was, um, and it was like this perfectionism and parenting. And I was kind of curious about your perspective on this, like if, if if a lot of our perfectionism beca comes because we had a lot of pressure um, as as parents, like the, our parents put a lot of pressure on us. And as a result, like we're putting pressure on our own kids because we, we want them to perform. And we think that like, oh, we're going to feel so accomplished if, you know, our kids are are like well accomplished. Um, but I think that this uh, this kind of leads to it. Like it's not just an effect onto the on on the child but it's also a, an effect on on the parent as well and what have you noticed yourself when you have this ability to let go of perfectionism let go of my child needs to perform like at a certain level otherwise i won't feel like i'm i'm adequate as a parent um i know for myself i struggled with that a lot it's like well no like my child should be my pride it should be like it should be an extension of like how great i am and it's like what <laughs> no they're not they're not an extension of you they're they're their own person so like how does letting go of perfectionism um like change things as a parent that has been huge for me and part of my own like untigering process, part of my own healing journey, because I, you know, really a lot of it had to be me untangling my identity and my worth from my performance, which when you grow up in like a tiger parenting household, you believe that your performance, like your, your belovedness, your worth, your value is based on your performance, um, how obedient you are, how well you do in school, 
you know, what level you are and the Suzuki level of piano or whatever it is, right? It's like um, we get affirmation and attention when we do well. And when we don't do well, we get yelled at, we get ignored, we get shamed, all those things. And so as parents, we definitely can bring that into our own parenting when we feel like we're failing as a parent, when we're we're doing things that we don't want to do, when, when our relationship with our kids is fraught, when our kids aren't achieving at the level that we hoped that they would. All that can trigger those feelings of shame, feelings of unworthiness and all those things. And so for me, just like healing my inner child, going back and and reparenting myself so that I know that no matter my performance as a parent even, uh, no matter my behavior, that I am unconditionally loved. That is huge, that is huge. And when I can like offer that more to myself, show empathy and patience to myself, even in those times when I'm throwing a tantrum, when I'm dysregulated and um, angry and upset and I have big emotions, the more I can offer um, that grace, that empathy and compassion to myself, um, the more I have found that I am able to offer it to my children when they behave in the same ways. So I think that releasing of perfectionism has been huge in my own untagging journey. Uh, I absolutely uh, love that. And if you don't mind, like I, I wrote something down, this, this kind of, there's a, a certain piece uh, to imperfect parenting. If you become okay with parenting that is not perfect all the time, and it doesn't need to be, um, you also at the same time feels like you, you, you build your own confidence as, as a parent. And I wonder if perfectionism is really a mask for anxiety that we have as like, we feel like we're, we feel a, a type of inadequacy, right? In, in our own parenting. That's why we, we strive so hard for like this notion of perfect parenting, because we feel like, oh, if I did this, like I, I would be. I'd be killing it, you know, like I, I would be doing so well, but it's like, no, like even if you had those things, even let, let's say your child did, like, would it really address your anxiety? It's like, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> it's like, oh, I've got to, I've got to cook something special for my kid every day. <laughs> Otherwise, like they're going to starve to death. It's uh, no, no, they're not. They're not going to starve to death. Like, um, but it's, it's tough because you have a strong expectation that like, maybe I, I expect that I'm, I'm, I cook food that they're going to eat and, you know, eat every time. And it's like, no, it, it's not going to be like that. And I think you know, that's, that's a tough one, right? Like I, I remember you like crying sessions, <laughs> you know, with, with my, uh, my wife, it's just like, this is, this is not easy. This is not easy. And, um, I've often said like, you can't compare to what your parents went through. Like they didn't go through a pandemic while having young kids, having to learn and teach online, while also working at the same time, like all of the things that we have to do today, there aren't other like adults, like grandparents that are going to really sympathize and understand your situation. And yes, they're, they're like recognizing that what advice they gave you is advice that they were given from their grandparents or their parents um, also is a, a really good uh, like sense of like, yeah, 
like they had their own anxieties they had their own hesitations it, it, like is this am i on the right track here like it, am i am i does it feel like i'm catching on to what you're you're saying about the imperfect parenting side mm -hmm. i love what you said about how um perfectionism is probably rooted in fear and anxiety you know about our own vulnerabilities and inadequacies feelings of inadequacy and so that desire to like project this image to be perfect to have everything together you know is really out of fear and I think when we recognize that we can really have compassion for it compassion for our parents who you know maybe did that <laughs> to us growing up and when we feel that way with our with our children, um, I know I wrote in my book that that motherhood was ruining my straight A reputation, right? Like I, I felt like I had life together and then all of a sudden these children of mine were not following the script and I felt out of control and I felt it really triggered things in me when I, I couldn't control them, when I thought I was doing everything right and they were not falling in line. And so it does bring up a lot of fears in us. So how can we notice that, pay attention to it, be gentle with ourselves in that? So you mentioned control um, and it, it kind of, it, that being out of control, uh, like, for example, like with the kids, for example, that being out of control as a trigger uh, for a lot of the anxieties that you had as, as a straight A parent. And I was wondering if you could uh, expand a little bit more on this notion of control and out of control, because I found the same as well. Like it, it was very hard to let go of um, the, the control of their like of the child and of their behavior and to start to embrace like I was spending so much time like focused on their behavior, which I couldn't control at all. And I was spending no time on the environment that they live in. Right. And just saying like, you know what, I could change that environment. Okay. I don't like him like opening up the pantry and then like, you know, getting all the chocolates in the morning. Well, then I'm going to lock, put a lock on the, on the pantry so that they can't do that. I can control the environment. I cannot control him, but uh, I can make it easier for him to, you know, uh, uh, to not uh, say consume all the chocolate in the morning. Um, and then we, we run into this like big yelling match in the morning. Cause I'm going to lose self-control. I'm not going to be able to handle it. Um, so can you like help us understand like how do we how do we separate those those aspects of control? How do we feel comfortable with the control that we do have and the control that we do not have? Mm. So I think you know the first thing is just to debunk the myth that we can control another person. <laughs> we can barely control ourselves, you know. So it isn't our job to control our children. Right. It, it's our job to be able to regulate and self-control ourselves, like to control the words that come out of our mouths, to control our reactions. It's not even our job to control our emotions or our thoughts. Um, I think just to allow those to come, but to control how we respond to those. So it's really important for us to have the freedom to feel whatever we feel or to think whatever we're going to think. But then to take a step back and to notice it, to, to give it space, be aware of it, and then to mindfully choose how to react, how to respond, what 
how we're going to act on that, you know? Um, so to resist control, the, the false belief that we can control somebody else to be able to control ourselves, work on controlling ourselves and our reactions. And then, like you said, controlling the environment, um, because it's unrealistic for us to expect certain behaviors for our children who perhaps are very young and still learning. So we don't want to um, expose them to temptation and then ex expect them to just not do those things because we told them not to, you know, whether it's getting into the chocolate or whatever it is. So we are can be responsible for... Um, creating an environment that is safe for them where you know they can have freedom within that environment um, there's limits and safe boundaries for them so yeah I think those are my thoughts about about control I love that so much because it, you're right like you, you, there's a lot of this notion of controlling other people which makes no sense Right? Like we're not there to control other people, but there are some things that we can try to control. We can control how we react to different situations, which is not easy. I mean, this is a skill, like don't expect perfection there. And then we can also control our environment. Like, so we, we say like, it, it's hard as uh, for us as adults, you know, to control uh, outside of our own environment. And if we don't go and do something about the environment, like we will have hard times. So for like for our kids, it, it like it, we're not setting them up for success. So you don't want that like change, change that environment and find a way to, to do it differently. And so I think that that was a like a really strong realization is that we, we put so much um, response, like when we're so heavily involved, like we, we talked about like on this notion of like the tiger parent who is like heavily controlling everything. And in that kind of situation, especially when it comes to like the behavior, the results and the performance of your child become your responsibility. And you can have a lot of anxiety around, oh, if they don't perform, then it's your fault. It is not their fault. They don't feel responsible that, oh, OK, well, I didn't I didn't perform. And um, I think I, like I, I'm also very curious, like what. What like their. Like, what does hey, I'm, I'm comfortable with you taking control. Like, what does um, giving back that, can, like taking away the need to control things, uh, what does that do in terms of like our comfort on the results? Um, for example, they don't hand in their homework. You know, they fail the assignment. They, uh, you know, they don't perform well in, in, their, in their schooling. Um, how, what do we do in that kind of situation like, how does it feel? Um, maybe you can describe that from your experience, because I'm very new <laughs> at just learning about unschooling and untigering uh, from, from that perspective. Sure. So I feel like um, a lot of it is us parents needing to work through our own fears and our own ego. <laughs> so... You know, sometimes we try to step in and save our children from pain, save them from the consequences of their actions um, because we're uncomfortable with it. We're uncomfortable with seeing them in pain, with um, having them experience negative consequences. And I think as parents, we need to develop resilience in that area where 
we need to give them the space to make mistakes because that is a huge learning opportunity for them. If we're always the one on the outside telling them what's wrong um, and then controlling their behavior so that they never choose what's wrong, they will never really learn about cause and effect. They will never learn about the natural consequences of making certain decisions. And so we need to really um, allow them the opportunity to make choices, to make decisions and to make bad decisions. You know, sometimes when I talk about um, giving our children more autonomy, we still want to control the results in some way. Well, how can I give them autonomy, but still make sure that they will turn out well or that they will do the right thing? And we can't, that's the whole thing about it. It's, it's like they have agency as a human being who will make good choices and bad choices. And But what we can do as parents is to um, step back and to sometimes allow them to make the bad choice and experience the negative results of that bad choice, but then always be there, always empathetic. Like, you know, we're not going to say, I told you so, you know, if you had only listened to me, you wouldn't, you know, this wouldn't have happened. You know, that's never helpful because then we're pitting ourselves against our children again. You know, we become their enemies. How can we always be on their side where they know that we always have their back, even if they make mistakes, you know, part of, part of growing up and becoming an adult and, and, um, all that is, is having the freedom to live your life and make mistakes and learn from them. And I think the responsibility for us as parents is to be available, um, to give advice. We can always give advice and, and give our input and share the wisdom that we have based on our years of experience. But ultimately, a lot of these things, they have to choose for themselves. That's a really great point. Like they're gonna make mistakes and it's really important. Like when would you like them, like in what environment would you like them to make mistakes? Would you like them to make it when they're adults, you know, and they're the consequences and maybe you're not around to, to give them the support that they need? Or would you like them to make mistakes now when if they make a mistake, like you can be there to support them and and work through like, yeah, like this is going to be OK. You're going to be able to work through this. Um, I'm here to help you. And so it gives them the sense that like the, the this fear and anxiety around mistakes is because like maybe we didn't make mistakes until like much, much later in our own lives. And then we started to like not know what to do and not know how to cope. I mean, that's another skill as well. It's just being able to recognize that making mistakes is just part of a process. You just need, you need room, you need room for mistakes. I love mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Kids learn how to make decisions by making decisions. So let's yeah, help them. It seems let's, so obvious. Let's support <laughs> but them. It's, in... it's hard to do in practice. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for joining the AI Parenting Podcast. If you want to learn more about Iris and Untigering, you can visit her site, untigering.com. And if you want to learn a little bit more about how to move from screen time to quality time, you want to visit aiparenting.live and become an AI Parenting Insider. Our email list is constantly growing and we're sharing all sorts of new tips like what you've seen today uh, with our community and also discounts on any of our upcoming courses 
that are specifically designed around helping students and parents and families. Uh, we have an upcoming course called the Internet Driver's License, and that's something that you may want to check out at AIParenting.live. Next week, we're going to be exploring. Next week, we're excited to explore the world of media and news in a session called How to Detox Your Newsfeed. This is going to provide some really helpful tips for anybody who is active on social media these days. And so you definitely don't want to miss this session. We will see you next week, the AI Parenting Podcast. Thanks.